quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jim Acosta. And what happens next week will be to use one word, historic. A stream of former government, uh, government officials, including the former president, his chief of staff, his lawyers, a top Justice Department official, campaign lawyers, all expected to surrender uh, in what Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fonnie Willis alleges was a criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. A senior law enforcement official tells CNN former President Donald Trump is expected to turn himself in at the Fulton County Jail at the end of next week on Thursday or Friday. Trump's surrender and arraignment in Georgia are likely to look different from those in his previous three criminal cases. The Fulton County Sheriff has suggested he wants to treat Trump and the others named in the indictment similar to any other defendant. That could mean that they would have mugshots taken and be fingerprinted. Uh, and all of this will happen just a day or two after the first Republican debate, which the frontrunner is planning to skip, according to multiple sources. We've got a lot more to come on all of that. Plus, we've got a brand new update this hour from the National Hurricane Center on Hurricane Hillary and fears the storm could dump over a year's worth of rain on parts of the Southwest, including the Los Angeles area. So stay tuned for that. Now, I want to get right into it with CNN political commentator Van Jones, former advisor to George W. Bush and John McCain and executive producer of The Circus, Mark McKinnon and CNN contributor and former Nixon White House counsel, John Dean. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks for staying up late. Great to talk to all of you. Really appreciate it. Uh, John, let me start with you first. Um, you know, Trump is now set to surrender for the fourth time uh, late next week, and this time uh, the world could get a mugshot of a former president. Uh, you worked for Richard Nixon. Can you put next week into context? Well, I can. Uh, it's not the first time that high-level government officials have had mugshots taken, uh, but it will be the first time a president, if they indeed do that. So uh, Watergate, of course, was the, the history that uh, got the presidency off the rails initially, and then it was back on. And uh, Trump is the guy who's gotten it off the rails again, and so we're going to see it play out, and ha whether it's by regular order or special treatment, we'll know next week. And we've seen Trump motorcade in and out of his previous court appearances, John. I mean, do you think that this surrender uh, could hit Trump a little differently than the ones that came before? In that this is, I mean, as somebody who is kind of the master of the spectacle, I don't think this is the spectacle that uh, he really wants to see or be a part of. No, the, the, yeah. the jail he's going to surrender at is a hellhole. It has been, it's received a lot of negative and national attention. Uh, I think any of the defendants in this newly charged case uh, who get a whiff of that place uh, may think twice about whether they want to stand trial or try to work out a deal. Uh, I don't think Trump will do that. He's always the double down guy. Uh, but, you know, I hope they do treat him like any other person uh, and don't give him special treatment. But he does have a Secret Service detail that has to protect him. So that will make some exception. Yeah, it's going to be a wild scene, uh, Mark and Van. Uh, I mean, Mark, let me just go to you. If, if 18 people get mugshots 
and Trump does not. If you somehow manages to not get a, a mugshot next week, although I mean, from what the sheriff is indicating, it sounds like this is going to happen. But if he doesn't, how is that going to play? Well, I, I think if the other 18 are, then he's likely to. What we're seeing from this judge increasingly is that uh, she doesn't intend to treat him any differently than the rest of the defendants. The thing that's unprecedented and, and fascinating about next week is that uh, on the one hand, we're going to have a national Republican debate where Trump will not be on stage. Uh, and yet just the following day, he will be in a federal courthouse where we may see a mugshot. So we may see a mugshot of Donald Trump, but we won't see his face on the national stage in the debate, uh, which is an interesting uh, diametrically opposed uh, visual that we're not used to seeing with Donald Trump. Yeah, Van, I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, th- this is this is just going to be wild. Uh, for, for the entire yeah. world to see, and, and, and really just a global embarrassment at the same time. Uh, absolutely. Also, um, you know, I'm not sure that Trump is as sad about this as uh, my colleagues. Um, you know, he is the master of the spectacle. Uh, this, it's a situation where that um, uh, mugshot, you might call it the $10 million, $20 million mugshot, because I guarantee you he is going to raise a ton of money off of it. He is He's developed something new in American politics where the worse he does uh, by any normal measure, uh, the higher he rises. Um, you know, I don't think most Republican voters uh, would um, give a job offer or a job interview to somebody with 91 uh, felony charges against him, but they're willing to give him the White House. He's, he's doing something here. He's playing some kind of a game here. Um, but, uh, you know, as much as uh, a normal person would not want a mugshot, I'm not sure that he's not planning on turning it into billboards. Yeah, I mean, to that point, Mark, I mean, does it, does it almost not matter? I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but does it almost not matter what happens at this debate on Wednesday if Donald Trump sucks up all the oxygen one day or two days later? I think it does matter. Debates always matter in political contests, especially election, uh, presidential elections. This is an opportunity for somebody to break out, and somebody will break out next week, and it, because Donald Trump's not going to be there, it won't be him. Uh, and so I, I think that this is a real opportunity for somebody, and, you know, contrary to, to, to Van's assessment, yes, I think he's going to get a lot of attention. Yes, I think Donald, in his mind, he thinks it's great he'll be the center of attention and use the mugshot. But I don't know a political consultant on either side of the aisle that would suggest that the best strategy is to get an additional indictment. It may play well in the primary, but I guarantee it's going to hurt him in the general election and already is. Yeah. And John, I, I mean, I, I do want to bring up this point and all three of you, you can weigh in on this. The Trump campaign sent out this email earlier today calling uh, the D.A. Uh, Fonnie Willis a fascist. Um, he's been attacking her and Jack Smith repeatedly on Truth Social. I mean, where is the line, John Dean? Is there a line? Are we setting up a scenario here where he can essentially just say anything he wants and he is just not going to get thrown in the slammer over? He's not going to he's not going to be found to have broken any of these rules. He can just do and say whatever he wants. I've not seen the statement. You said it's from the campaign, which somewhat shields him from making a personal statement if the campaign issued it. He can theoretically deny that he had anything to do with it. But it's obviously done in his name. And there really is no line that he's not willing to walk up to, although I think he's been somewhat chastened recently, uh, Jim, because he's backed off on holding this press conference next week where he was going to explain to the world how he had evidence that totally exonerated him from all these uh, charges. Lawyers got to him 
and said, listen, you're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. And maybe he realizes he is digging a deeper hole. So we'll see how, uh, how he personally plays this. And then, as we were just discussing, he's not going to be at the debate next week. Uh, but his primary opponents are taking kind of a mixed reaction on all this uh, in his ditching the debate. Let's, let's uh, listen to this. If you've qualified for the stage, which Trump has, not showing up is completely disrespectful to the Republican Party, who has made you their nominee twice, and to the Republican voters whose support you're asking for again. I think you owe it to the people to put out your vision, uh, to talk about your record. And if you're not willing to do that, then I think that, that people are not going to look kindly on that. I do expect President Trump to show up down the line, but I think it's fair game for him to miss the first couple. Yeah. How does this play out, Van? What do you think? Look, if you're Vivek, you're probably glad Trump's not there because he's the new guy, he's the rising star, he's the young buck, he's a young gun, and so he has a chance to have the, the, the stage to himself. Uh, he's going to be uh, more for Trump than Trump himself, uh, and he's going to try and take it to Chris Christie. Chris Christie's going to try to take it to him. So uh, if, you're, if you're Vivek in particular, you probably want him not there. Um, that's why he's not criticizing him. Um, you know, look, I'm looking for Tim Scott. Uh, to uh, rise a little bit. There's going to be a lot of punches thrown. There's going to be a lot of pyrotechnics. But I think that nobody's going to throw a punch at Tim Scott, and he's not going to th throw a punch at anybody else. It gives him an opportunity to put forth that sunshine optimism, and you'll see, is there any appetite for that in the Republican Party? Or do they just want the, the, fist, the fisticuffs and the, the name-calling and the nonsense that's going to go down between a Chris Christie, between a DeSantis, between a Vivek? So that's, that's what I'm looking for. Like, how health is, is there any health in this party any place? They could gravitate toward a healthier message and a healthier candidate. And, and Mark, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, and I, I, I try to ask Republican strategists when I have them on from time to time, it, it, it's just this strange dynamic that we're seeing play out in the Republican primary process where you have now the ex-president with four different indictments. And the other contenders just seem to be, uh, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips and not really taking him on and hitting him over the head with, with all of this legal trouble that he's in. Is it possible that we're going to see this debate play out in a way on Wednesday night where they're just they sound like they're auditioning for posts in his cabinet more than really going after him, despite the fact that he's in all this trouble? I think we'll see both. But I think the people who really think that they've got a shot and not just uh, a shot to be number two or somewhere in the cabinet are increasingly going to be walking a strategic line where they they can talk about Trump in a way they say, listen, you know, he's been the tribal leader. He's been very popular. There's a lot of things he done, he did that were good for the country, good for the party. But he's a loser. I mean, the fact is he lost the 2020. They have to admit that he lost the 2020 election, not just the election for his reelection, but he lost the House. He lost the Senate for the first time in 100 years, not since Grover Cleveland. And that with these with these increasing legal problems, he is increasingly problematic and more likely looking to be a loser in the general election. So they can damn him with faint praise and say, listen, he's just not the guy that's going to be able to win next year. And it's got to be somebody else. All right, gentlemen, uh, Van Jones, Mark McKinnon, John Dean. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great Take discussion. Uh, a potential Trump conviction before the 2024 election is raising a host of constitutional questions already. But as my next guest writes, in a Washington Post opinion piece this week, some legal experts think Trump has already disqualified himself from being president under the 14th Amendment. Washington Post opinion columnist uh, Jason Willick uh, joins me now. Uh, Jason, um, this caught my eye earlier this week. You, you cite this uh, paper written by two originalist law professors 
who, uh, who say that Trump may have already disqualified himself, despite the fact that he wasn't convicted in the Senate during that impeachment process. Can you lay that out for us? Yeah. So the idea is that the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was intended to disqualify Confederates uh, from serving in government after the Civil War, could apply to Trump because it prohibits anyone who engaged in insurrection uh, from serving. And so on the idea that the January 6th riot was an insurrection, uh, these law professors are arguing, and I suspect this is going to get into the liberal bloodstream in the coming months, Trump is disqualified based on an original meaning of the 13th, 14th Amendment, Section 3. I don't agree with it, but I think it's something that's going to uh, start being debated more and more if uh, President, former President Trump continues his march to the nomination. And how could this be used by activists, opponents of the former president? Um, when could we see this theory be introduced in court? I mean, I suppose as the primary process plays out, you may, you may start seeing some court challenges in, in key battleground states, that sort of thing? Yeah, so the, the process varies uh, from state to state, whether it has to be another candidate challenging someone's eligibility, which state official can challenge their eligibility. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, the primaries start in January. We're in August. We're a few months away uh, from ballots starting to be printed and have the names of the candidates on them. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see uh, state officials try to remove Trump's name from the ballot, especially in blue states, especially partisan uh, Democratic secretaries of state. Now, if that happened, uh, there would be a legal challenge and we would see it then go to the courts and it would it would start to be litigated. And then, of course, the question is, you know, this just takes one state secretary of state in one state uh, to try to remove President Trump from the ballot and to get the go ahead from the state Supreme Court. And then it goes to the United States Supreme Court. So I think it, we're going to see if this idea starts to get momentum among Democrats, it's going to start rising uh, very fast in this 2024 election. And we, we should note these are originalist law professors. Uh, if they believe this, um, logically, uh, one might, uh, I guess, presume that the, uh, perhaps a conservative on the Supreme Court or multiple conservatives on the Supreme Court might agree with this line of thinking. What do you think? You know, I think it's unlikely, uh, but you never know. The you know, liberals have generally disagreed with originalism because they've said, so what if, it, if that's what it meant, you know, hundreds of years ago? We, we live in the real world. We have to take into account political realities. You know, if the original meaning of the Constitution requires us to not have paper money or, or something that's just totally unworkable in modern society, well, we have to interpret it in a way that's consistent with how our society works. You know, you're right that originalists say we have to follow the text no matter what the implications are. So I do think that th these are influential law professors. It, you know, depending on how these trials play out, how the mood of the country plays out in the coming months, I think it could be taken more or less seriously. Uh, but I think we could be sh for sure see some strange new respect for originalism among liberals and perhaps uh, some, some uh, skepticism of this originalist logic among conservatives. And potentially some lawyers representing the former president in a different kind of court uh, case. Um, all right, Jason Willick, uh, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jen. All right. Coming up next, the battle over African-American studies in Arkansas, why the Little Rock School District is going against state education officials. We'll talk about that in a few moments.
In a sharp break from Arkansas education officials, the Little Rock School District has decided it will continue to offer AP African American Studies for credit. The decision comes after the State Department of Education announced on Monday that the course's content might violate the state's due Learns Act. That law, championed by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, bans, quote, indoctrination in schools. And joining me now is attorney and school board member for the Little Rock School District, Allie Nolan. She is representing two plaintiffs in a lawsuit against the Learns Act. Uh, Allie, uh, very much uh, appreciate you being with us this evening. Uh, it's so late. Thanks for making time for us. Um, as a point of clarification, the school district has decided to move forward with its plans to teach the course. Um, tell us more about this. Is it going to count toward graduation? Uh, do the students get punished in some way by this? It cannot count as a graduation requirement. That is part of the state's decision um, not to count it. But we are still offering the course. We are still weighting the grade. So it will count as an AP grade. We'll still list it as an AP um, course on the student transcript. And um, we are coming up with ways to pay for those student AP exams um, because the state is refusing to pay for them for this course, even though it pays for all other AP exams. So the students can take the course this year. It won't count uh, toward their high school graduation. Um, What about universities? Uh, Can they take this course uh, into account as uh, something that's on the student's record? And I guess I'm just kind of curious, what do the kids have to say about this? So the University of Arkansas system, which is by far the largest in the state, has already said that it is accepting this course for college credit um, if a student passes the AP exam. More than 200 other colleges and universities have also said they will accept the course. Um, And in terms of our students, uh, they are eager to take the course. There has been an outpouring of support. We have even had adults in the community who have said, this is history I need to learn. How do I take this course as well? So there's a lot of interest right now in making yeah, was, sure that we do not erase this history. Well, I was wondering if the governor is inadvertently making this course more popular. Um, well, there's definitely been a lot of talk about how the next section of AP African-American studies may have a chapter on exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> I bet. Um, And in terms of the school district's decision, the Arkansas Department of Education says in a statement, um, until it's determined whether it violates state law and teaches or trains teachers in critical race theory and indoctrination, this is according to the State Department of Education, the state will not move forward. The department encourages the teaching of all American history and supports rigorous courses not based on opinions or indoctrination. That word indoctrination coming up over and over again. What's your response to that? This course is not indoctrination. Um, This course takes students through 400 years of history and helps them use original source documents um, to prompt discussion and to really um, encourage debate so that they can develop critical thinking skills on their own. That is the opposite of indoctrination. Um, In fact, Governor Sanders and her administration have had months to review this course and they can't point to a single example of indoctrination or CRT in the course. The framework for the course is online on the college board's website. Everyone can look at it. And the governor, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she's pushing back on criticism over this last minute decision to not allow students enrolled in this uh, course uh, to receive credit toward graduation. Let's listen to what she had, had to say, and I'll get you to respond to it. We've got to get back to the basics of teaching math, of teaching reading, writing, 
and American history. And we cannot perpetuate a lie to our students and push this propaganda leftist agenda, teaching our kids to hate America and hate one another. It's one of the reasons that we put into law banning things like indoctrination and CRT. Yeah, what's your response to the governor? So Elizabeth Eckford, one of the Little Rock Nine, came out today and said that this is an attempt to erase history. This is our history as Arkansans. And this is just a shameful political stunt that robs our students of important educational opportunities. Um, I wish the governor would quit playing politics with our students, honestly. Yeah. Well, and of course, if, if she'd like to come on and talk about it, we're happy to have her on. Uh, we've, we've had a chance to talk to her before about other things uh, in the past, uh, but let's talk to her about this. We'd like, like to do that. Um, Allie Nolan, thank you so much for your time. Keep us posted on how things go out there uh, in Arkansas. It's an important topic. Uh, we hope to stay on top of it. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Allie. Uh, the southwestern U.S., uh, heads up, uh, it is facing the threat of massive rainfall from a hurricane churning off the coast of Mexico right now. Southern California is on a level four threat, the first time it's ever been issued. Hurricane Hillary uh, could dump more than a year's worth of rain on at least three states in a matter of days and spark catastrophic flooding. Let's bring in CNN's Chad Myers to talk about this. Chad, I mean, this is just, uh, it's kind of strange to talk about a hurricane of this magnitude heading towards Southern California. How bad could it be? This will be a once-in-a-generation or maybe longer type of storm. This will do infrastructure damage. This will wash out roadways, may take out bridges, and put an awful lot of water in places where people live. This just isn't a desert system. So 130-mile-per-hour storm, the latest advisory, the 11 o'clock advisory, just out. A Hurricane Hunter aircraft is on the way to make sure to check it out. Also now, what was a tropical storm watch a few hours ago is now turned into a tropical storm warning for Southern California from Point Magoo all the way south, even south of San Diego. To the south of there, hurricane warnings because they're going to get hurricane conditions. I don't think we're going to see hurricane conditions in California But it's going to be pretty close, especially on top of some of these mountain ridges. You could get some hurricane gusts. The big story, I think, is going to be 40 or 50 miles per hour in most locations. But that's not the story with this storm. This storm is still now a Cat 4, barely, but it is. And then it will turn into a Category 1. And then it will turn into only a TS, a tropical storm, as it crosses over into California. So the winds may not be what they are now because of this colder water. But this is still going to carry all of the moisture. It's going to carry all of the humidity of a major hurricane right over this area that will have between possibly 7 and 10 inches of rain. Think about that on top of these mountains. All of that water is going to come down. Think about that on a burn scar. Those are going to be just areas of water just rushing across the roadways. This is going to be a weekend to not go to the mountains, not go to the park, not go to the national parks, because some of them are even closed. But it's going to start early. This is moving a little bit faster than I think forecast earlier in the day, because we're going to see rain in the morning. In fact, we're already seeing rain now across parts of really Las Vegas. But that's not even part of this yet. The thing is, Jim, this is going to rain for 24 hours And there's going to be an awful lot of problems here. This is really a major, major catastrophic event. Well, and Chad, I I know I've I've spoken with you so many times about these kinds of systems. 
uh, heading into the Gulf of Mexico and hitting the Gulf Coast. Right. And a lot of times with these tropical storms, people will have the temptation to blow it off and say, oh, no big deal, a tropical storm. And a lot of times it depends on whether or not that storm is slowing down. If it slows down enough, then it can really dump a lot of rain, dump a lot of water. Is that mm-hmm. the potential for what we're looking at here for Southern California? Is that why they need to be careful with this? It's just the amount of water that's in the air. The amount of humidity all the way from the surface to the top of the atmosphere is four times what it should be this time of year. That's just four times more rainfall than it can even come out during a regular monsoon event. And look how widespread this is. Hundreds, thousands of square miles of rainfall deeper than four inches, all having to get down into the same valleys, into the same gullies, into the same lakes. Not just one storm on a map in a county. This is... You know, that's as big as Pennsylvania. That's a lot of rainfall coming down. A lot of rain. People need to be careful. Chad Myers, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles suffering multiple injuries, including two players being carted off the field on stretchers for major neck injuries. So uh, this is pretty early in the season, obviously. We're in the preseason. What's going on with the team? What's going on with the sport? And this uh, happening over and over again in, in the NFL. We'll talk about that next. Two Philadelphia Eagles players had to be carted off the field on stretchers after suffering neck injuries during Thursday's preseason game against the Cleveland Browns. The Eagles say wide receiver Tyree Cleveland and defensive lineman Moro Jomo both have movement in all extremities, but you can't help but be reminded of that horrible scene when Buffalo Bills star DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest on the field in January. Uh, joining me now to talk about this, uh, CNN sports analyst Christine Brennan. Christine, great to see you. Uh, it, it's great that the NFL is back. We're in preseason. But all of a sudden, I mean, here we go. Multiple injuries, some terrifying incidents already. First uh, couple of weeks of the preseason, uh, and we're seeing these devastating injuries. Jim, as you know well, this is a violent game that Americans just love. And we can't get enough of it. But the the very definition of football, it's tackling, it's hitting. You know, anyone who's ever been in the stands at a game, frankly, high school or college, too, you know, hit them. Um, synonyms for all, you know, hit, tackle. Right. That is a part of the American lexicon. And this is where we are. And in both cases, from looking at the videotape, these were athletes who are Doing football things, you know, jumping for a ball, yeah, landing, now. right, landing the wrong way. Uh, you can see again the reaction, and you you mentioned Demar Hamlin, and just the fact that this just just brings that all back. That was uh, January second or third, and 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 then again just trying to uh, make a tackle, a defensive lineman, and so scary. It, it is. But it's with all the rule changes and all the things that the sport has tried to do to make it safer. No more horse collaring, quarterbacks, you know, can't lead with your head. All those things. The reality is this game still can produce moments like that. Uh, is there anything that can be done about the preseason? I mean, I, I hate to put something out there, uh, you know, that the NFL is going to say, no way we would do something like this. But should we have this level of hitting, uh, yeah. this level of, of um, competition during the preseason? I mean, that's, this is a, every fan's nightmare losing a big star player during the preseason. And in, in, in the case with both of those players, as you mentioned, yeah. they're concussed. So right. even though they're okay, thankfully, and it, we did find out qu- quite quickly that the extremities, that they could move their extremities, and so they, that, that concern was off the table. But how quickly will they come back? 
once you've had a concussion, of course, you're much more likely to have another one, as we know. Um, it, the preseason is where, again, as all football fans know, you get a chance to see that that one person who's going to be the, the diamond in the rough. Remember Babe Laufenberg here in Washington? Of course. You know, Always played great. Everyone loved him. Uh, and uh, there are always those preseason sure. fan favorites. Uh, sure. And so that's the nature of this. You do want to see how these guys can play. I mean, there is that. And you have to, and every team has to uh, analyze. It's not just, I mean, the star quarterbacks and, and some of the stars end up resting a lot of these games because they don't want them to get injured. And they use the preseason to analyze the players who are just trying to make the roster. But we all remember when DeMar Hamlin experienced his cardiac arrest on the field. Uh, back in January, and it, it's just a miracle. He was He's back playing again. He is. Which is an incredible testament to the kind of medical miracles that they do inside the NFL with these players. Well, and the stories uh, that we're well aware of, yeah. of the high school kids who weren't able to get that kind of attention. Well, that's true. Those yeah. horror stories of kids uh, playing where, thankfully, again, the CPR, the training, defibrillators, and that is what Hamlin is, is making, is, is starting a national conversation, has been over the last, you know, seven, eight, nine months. And I think that's wonderful that more and more communities are realizing they have to have that. Is there any way, and I know you and I have talked about this before, is there any way to make this game safer? You know, they've tried uh, every which way. Um, and it, No way to make it safe. It, right. It is, it, well... The, the anecdotes of like a Jim Otto, the great from the Raiders, yep. double zero, who couldn't get out of bed and had, what, 50 knee surgeries or something. Gail Sayers, one of the greats of all time, who had to end his career so so uh, quickly with the Chicago Bears because they didn't have ACL you know, uh, surgery the way they do now, the arthroscopic surgery. All these things are much better than they were. But if we love football, and I've covered it for years and loved it as, as you have. Me too. Uh, you're going to have tough in DC. You've lived lived a long uh, thirty years here, but but I think the bottom line is if if we love our football, then we've got to come to terms that this is exactly the kind of thing that is going to happen. But they certainly have tried. The NFL and others have tried to do a better job of keeping people safe. You just but you can't uh, ensure that things like this will not. happen. And it's a sport that makes a fortune. And they have, to, they have to keep investing in technology and the equipment to make sure that these players just have the very best equipment, medical professionals, everybody on the sidelines. And that kind of mentality has to filter down to the college and high school ranks as well. It does. Because as you made that point earlier, right. it has to be safer at those levels as well. Christine Brennan, uh, thank you very much. Uh, in the meantime, an unknown singer skyrocketing at the top of the charts. Why is Richmond... North of Richmond becoming an overnight sensation. Politics might have something to do with it. We'll talk about that. I wish politicians would look out for miners and not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the whole beast milking welfare. Well, God, if you're That song has been rocketing to the top of the charts, becoming a conservative anthem seemingly overnight. Richmond, north of Richmond, channels the previously unknown singer's frustrations over the state of the country and has garnered praise from uh, right-wing figures like Carrie Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene, with Lauren Boebert calling it an anthem for our times, uh, in her words. Joining me now is Variety senior music writer and chief music critic uh, Chris Woolman. 
Um, he's also the author of Rednecks and Bluenecks, the politics of country music. And there is politics in country music. It's very, very true. Um, Chris, great to see you. Uh, what, in, what, what, is, what in the hell has happened here? How has this song uh, done this? Um, what's driving the overnight success of this? Well, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about, is this organic? Is he some kind of industry plant or right-wing conspiracy plant? Um, certainly he had some help in marketing the song from people on the right who got it in front of the right eyes of the people like Carrie Lake and people like that. But I think, you know, progressives, you know, dismiss it as um, some kind of fake or plant, you know, at the peril of ignoring the fact that what this song speaks to and maybe what people on their side need to be speaking to more. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon in a lot of ways. This guy who, up until 10 days ago, had probably never played for more than a few dozen people in a bar, suddenly is about to have the number one song in the country, we believe. He's, he's running neck-and-neck neck with Taylor Swift right now for number one. The chart will wow. come out Sunday. And, um, uh, and he lives in a trailer on a farm. He really is who he, he says he is in terms of a working-class guy who's worked in manufacturing and all this um, but when we say it's a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon, it also there's this kind of instant deja vu where it's a, it's a twice-in-a-month phenomenon because, you know, who, you know, we have Matt Walsh calling this the protest song of generation. Well, they were just saying that three weeks ago about Jason Aldean's "Try This in a Small Town." Different yeah. thing. That's a superstar. This is a complete unknown. But you know, this kind of repeatable phenomenon of a song that really appeals to the right wing zooming to number one on the charts. And Chris, he says he's nonpartisan. So why is this being mainly praised by people on the far right? I mean, I, I, you, if you look at some of the lyrics, I suppose that those some of those lyrics might appeal to folks on that end of the spectrum. But w- what's your sense of it? Yeah, I mean, he has uh, said in a video he put out that he's always been a right down the center guy. Um, I think at some point you're going to be known by the fans you keep. So if your song is only being embraced by the Marjorie Taylor Greens, Matt Walsh's, Ben Shapiro's, uh, Newt Gingrich has gotten behind it, you do think about, okay, why is that? And I, I've seen a lot of progressives say, you know, these are actually what he says about economic dissatisfaction and disenfranchisement uh, would have been Democratic talking points a generation ago or, or seen as such in that part of the country. And now they are seen as right-wing talking points. And I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, from the left, you know, I was with him in the song until he started punching down and talking about uh, fat women, milk and welfare, who are uh, five foot three and 300 pounds. And at, at that point, he loses a lot of people by yeah. sort of appealing well, to the uh, welfare queen thing. And we've got some of those lyrics. Let's listen to this. I wish politicians would look out for minors. Not just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the whole beast milking welfare well, God, if you're five foot three And you're 300 pounds Taxes ought not to pay For your bags of fudge rounds Young men are putting themselves Six feet in the ground Cause all this damn country does Is keep on kicking them down yeah. What do you make of those lyrics? Well, you know, it's an odd kind of conservative dog whistle to throw in a reference to Jeffrey Epstein and child sex right. trafficking, yeah. which I think is what has made people think, is this like a, a QAnon thing? QAnon thing. And yeah. it's just kind of a random reference to throw in there along with the welfare queen stuff. And, you know, 80% of the song is kind of 
this free form, free floating resentment of fat cats in Washington that probably, you know, most people could kind of sing along with. Um, but then he throws in, you know, these kind of odd things that, that, that feel like signals to the right to a lot of people. And so it's hard to know whether to take him at his word that he's a centrist guy or um, whether he is sort of trying to be this populist um, while at the same time being what has turned out to be, you know, extremely partisan in, in the way it's being received. I mean, are there other songs that we can draw some, uh, I guess, uh, some thoughts on uh, in terms of or thoughts from in terms of where he lands on a lot of this stuff? Or is it just this one song that everybody's trying to read into? Yeah, it's funny because you look at his other songs and there's a lot of stuff about um, the word bull turns up a lot because he has been uh, apparently a big uh, pot guy. <laughs> and uh, uh, we can laugh about that, but he's also seems to have had some kind of religious epiphany recently where he talks about being a high school dropout with a GED who's had uh, kind of drowned his mental health issues in substance abuse and now is seeing the light. So when he did like his first sort of big public concert uh, a week ago, he opened it by reading from the book of Psalms for about two minutes, albeit the psalm about, you know, striking down the wicked. So, uh, and yet he seems like this really friendly guy. He doesn't seem as angry as, say, you know, Jason Aldean just kind of looks angry when you look at him. And so he has this kind of friendly face uh, beneath the huge red beard. And so I think people are still a little puzzled about where he's really coming from. And maybe he's just a simple guy, like he says he is, who hasn't really figured it all out yet and maybe doesn't know that he's thought that much about these kind of supposed dog whistles he's sending out. It's, right. it's hard to really know. All right. Well, we'll have to keep listening to find out. Uh, Chris Woolman, uh, thank you very much. Uh, interesting stuff. I appreciate the time. You bet. All right. We'll be right back. Native Americans die from preventable diseases and illnesses at higher rates than other Americans, partly due to a struggle to find adequate health care. This week's CNN Hero is working to change that. Our reservation is about 30 miles from the Canadian border in north central Montana. You're probably about a good three hours to major hospitals. Okay, we're on our way. We know the need is huge for transportation. The majority of our people are living in poverty. If I didn't physically transport them, I would help them with food, a hotel, or gas. I started getting into the nutrition of it. If we could eat healthy, it will reduce our risk of cancer. Hi! We have done distributions of fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh eggs, and we joined in a collaboration with our tribe to help harvest our buffalo. Prior to my diagnosis of cancer, I thought my life was based on my professional career and my education. But now I know that this is my calling. To see Tesha Holly's incredible full story, go to CNNHeroes.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Jim Acosta. Our coverage continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. 
Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.